So if you're like me, it can be hard to keep track of Jesus in the midst of the Christmas season. I mean, it's almost cliche, but it's true. I love Christmas, and there's always a lot to do to get ready for Christmas, and a lot of times it's, you know, even me, in the midst of writing Christmas sermons, I'll realize, man, you know what, I haven't given God much thought given Jesus much thought during this Christmas season. And so, uh, you know, always trying to find my way through the important for the really, really, really important, and that's Jesus. It, perfect imagery uh, at the Poindexter house uh, this past week. We have this little plastic, like, toy manger, um, kid-friendly manger that sits on, on our fireplace uh, ledge and on, on the hearth of our fireplace, and we noticed that... Um, Baby Jesus was missing from the manger, and we asked our kids, where's baby Jesus? And one of my children, who I didn't gain permission yet uh, to talk about this, um, said, uh, well, I threw him in the tree. Well, why'd you throw baby Jesus in the tree? Because I thought it'd be fun to find him. Well, where is he? I don't know. I couldn't find him. (laughs) So we spent about 20 minutes trying to carefully look through the Christmas tree until... um, until Spencer found um, his brother's baby Jesus <laughs> in the Christmas tree. Um, so, so what we're going to do over the next couple weeks is sort through it all and try to come up with some imagery that helps us see Jesus in the midst of, of everything else. And, and that, that song for me has always been very powerful, very powerful imagery. When you think about sing Mary... Uh, you picture a, 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 a very a real girl, 14, 15, singing, lullabying, which she most certainly would have done, her newborn baby, who is the king. And all of the imagery and mystery that goes with that. So let me begin by looking at what the Bible tells us about this baby laying in a manger. What does the Bible say is true of Jesus? So that when you see those bright nativity lawn ornaments or maybe the nativity scene in your home or maybe on a Christmas card, you see the imagery of the manger and and, and we have something to draw us back to what's really important. So this is what the Bible says about the baby. And I'm going to take a moment to walk through the first chapter of John today. Now, we often associate the Christmas story in the Bible, the nativity story, with the nativity narratives, uh, Matthew or Luke, that that more specifically give us details about the actual birth of Jesus. But I want to skip to John. It's a little lesser known in the nativity Christmas scene. But to give significance to the first chapter of John, I'm actually going to start with Matthew, a little better known portion of the story helps us appreciate John. So Matthew chapter 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers. And on and on and on he goes through from Abraham through history until the birth of Jesus. Now Abraham, we know, was the father of the Jewish people. So that's pretty impressive 
that Matthew traces Jesus' birth all the way back, generation after generation after generation, to Abraham, takes the time to do that. To say, this baby's a big deal. We can trace him all the way back to Abraham. But John, when he's ready to write his account of the coming of Jesus, he one-ups Matthew and goes way, way, way back before even Abraham. In John 1, we read this. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So John uses this phrase that would have immediately jumped out to his early readers in the beginning. Anybody recognize in the beginning? The first words in the Bible. He's talking about, he's calling us back to the Genesis, the, the origin of creation as we know it. And he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Now John uses that phrase, Word, as a description for Jesus. We'll talk about that in a minute, but I want you to think about this. Of all the things that John could have used to label Jesus, he chooses word. Now, here's why that's significant to, to think along those lines. So, during Jesus' ministry, uh, he had a core base of, let's just say, between 70 to 120 followers. People who, who were like the core followers of his teachings. Now, of those 70 to 120, there were 12 in his inner core. But then he had his core of core of cores, and there were three. Anybody know the three? Peter, Peter, John, Peter, John, and James. Peter, James, and John. Those were his, his core guys that he lived life with more than anyone else. But then there was one. There was his very closest there was his very best friend. And that was John who writes this gospel. So you can imagine the king of the universe becomes flesh, becomes the teacher and healer of all, and you're his very best friend. Can you imagine that? The creator, the God of the universe, and, and, and you're his closest friend. And God taps you on the shoulder and says, now I want you to write the story. Matthew's done it, Mark's done it, Luke's done it, now it's your turn to write the story. The pressure that you would feel as you begin to, with the help of the Holy Spirit, work through this amazing work that will change the course of the world. And of all the things to start the book out, John chooses the Greek word logos or logos. It's one of the most significant concepts of philosophy in John's day. And it sort of means, and this is the word that we translate word. In the beginning was the logos. And the logos was with God. And the logos was God. He was with God in the beginning. It means the source, the reason was kind of the highest form of philosophy, the everything. What John is saying is that Jesus is everything. That little baby 
laying in the manger is everything. And so what we have to ask is, is he our everything? Or is he just kind of an added piece of our life, or maybe not a part of our life at all? But as far as scripture is concerned, this baby is everything. And this is why this is important. When you begin to read or watch the History Channel around Christmas, you'll see plenty of people that say, Jesus was a great historical figure. Jesus was a good man. Jesus was a great thinker. But you need to know biblically, Jesus is everything. And you'll hear all kinds of documentaries with all kinds of experts that say things about Scripture, how, well, it doesn't really say that he's deity or that he's this or that, or it was invented later on. No. According to John... Jesus' closest friend here on earth. Jesus is everything. John goes on. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. So not only is Jesus the supreme reason for all things, or the source of all things, but this little baby's the creator of all things. He's made everything. And so, the hands that form the depth of the Grand Canyon are now in baby form. The mind that conceived the blue whale is now contained in a seven-pound body. The voice that said, let there be light, and brought about the light in the universe, now is just going to be uttering mama and dada for a couple years. Isn't it crazy to think of how God limited himself It's one of the fascinating parts of the Christmas story for me. It's the artist who made the painting that takes a normal seat in the gallery or the captain of the plane that sits back in coach class. It's the limitations that God took on to be with us. Now, um, Crestview Elementary School, that's my, my, my boys go there, and, and we let them use our sanctuary, our auditorium, as, a, as like a movie theater. So they have their Crestview movie day here, and there's like 300 people, kids are all over the place, but I have to tell my boys before they come in. Now listen, <clears throat> when we're here today, you're just one of the other kids at Crestview. You don't own the place. So you're not running all over the balcony, you're not showing them where my office is. You're not swimming in the baptistry. You're just one of them today. You're not exploring the nooks and crannies with your friends. Very much what Jesus did here. The author of it all. Limiting himself to be human. One of the great mysteries, I think, of this story. Now, there's one more thing that we learn about Jesus the King. And that's that he's actually the judge of all things. Acts 10, 42. He is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. So as difficult as it is to comprehend, there's a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit. Distinct beings, yet one God. And of those beings that represent the one God, Jesus is the judge. 
So we have the creator, we have the sustainer, we have the source, we have the king, we have the judge. That's who's laying in the manger. Now in a few minutes I'm going to come back up and we're going to talk about what it means that the king of all chose to take on the lowly position of a baby wrapped in a towel in a manger. But for now, let's contemplate the king who has come to earth. Let's Lord, you are the Lord of our lives and Lord of everything. Thank you for coming to this earth to save us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Elementary age. You guys can go do your thing if you'd like. Uh, we're going to do our offering right now, and then I'm going to continue on with sort of the so what of the king coming to the earth. Um, so uh, for some of you, uh, Polaris is your cause, and if that's the case, this is, this is the time for that. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll take our offering. Father, uh, thank you for all that you have given us, and I pray that you would uh, bless this offering. Um, bless all the generosity, no matter the cause, uh, from our family. Uh, show us clearly where you want us to give and give us the strength to trust and be obedient. Um, we give you our offerings now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so you can feel free to pass the baskets and I'm just going to move on. Um, so what? The king came to earth. Well, there are a lot of so what's, but the aspect that I'm going to kind of focus on for the rest of my time is uh, the, the fact that somehow the king chose a posture of servanthood, of humility. And so we have to say that this is a driving factor of what it means to be God. And if we say we follow Jesus, then what does that mean for us? What does it mean for us if Jesus had all authority and all power? He was the creator, the sustainer, the judge. And yet he chose to come in humility and serve, 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 serve. And we say, I follow him. He's my example. It's all symbolized through the manger. I'm going to go back to John, verse 10. <coughs> he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Now I find great significance here in the God who is so humble that he becomes vulnerable. He allows himself to be rejected. Now, when you think about this, and what I want to do over the next couple minutes is we're going to look at it, the, the treasure of Jesus, and yet 
you can reject the treasure if you want to. Talk about humility, that the king comes and allows himself to be rejected. But what tragedy when we somehow reject him. I think about it. Have you ever watched, uh, it's, it's kind of has its own cult following now, uh, Antique Roadshow, if you've ever seen that on, I think it's PBS. And the concept is people just bring in uh, what might be and has often been mistaken for junk. And then these experts give the value. And sometimes stuff's worth a couple hundred bucks, sometimes much, much more. But the thing that always fascinates me, and I'm not by any means a regular you know, I don't DVR Antique Roadshow, but um, I, you know, I've watched it enough to see those moments when somebody has picked something up the week before at a garage sale for like, you know, five bucks, and it's worth thousands. So I, I guess the, the big money score on Antique Roadshow was someone who brought in a card table, an antique card table that they had gotten uh, for $25 a couple of weeks prior at a garage sale, that was valued at $500,000 on the Antique Roadshow. And you can, you can imagine um, uh, the, the dueling aspects here of the finder and getter of the money. Like imagine walking out knowing, man, my kid's college is paid for. My house is paid off. My car is paid off. But then there's the agony. <laughs> That was in my garage two weeks ago. And, and I got nothing. That you somehow realized that you rejected something of great value. You allowed something of great value to slip through your fingers. And that's part of the mystery of this story is that the king comes and with him he has rewards beyond measure, but he will allow us to reject him. Now the first part of the riches that Jesus brings are, are his grace. I mean, it's an incredible aspect of this story that the God of the universe said, I want to take grace to this fallen people. And I hope that we all realize and remember this when we see the manger scene, that it's a reminder that God chose to come to us with all the riches of his grace. So John, uh, a couple chapters after what we've read, penned those famous words, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He sent his one and only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Now, the Bible is clear, and many of you know this, that, that, that God came to us and paid a big price. Talk about, talk about a treasure of great wealth or great price. God paid the price for all of our sins. So when I look at the stack of sins that separate me from God and know that he paid the price for every single one of those on the cross, that's a treasure. And God brought that treasure to me. And maybe, you know, you're, you're weighed down with guilt or struggling to find your value or your worth and you pass a manger or you see the Christmas card and, and you remember, no, God brought me those riches. Now, he'll let you walk away from those, but why would we? The second area of great wealth that God brought us is that of his lifestyle. So Jesus came not only to die on the cross, but to bring us a lifestyle that in and of itself has, has tremendous riches 
for our life. Not monetary, but fulfillment. And I know that so many people are quick to embrace the riches of God's grace, but reject the riches of his lifestyle. And God will let you do that, and God lets me do that. When I get selfish, I can reject the riches of God's lifestyle, of the lifestyle that Jesus came to bring, of love and generosity and joy and redemption. And I can walk away from that if I want, but I'm the one who loses because that is a lifestyle of fulfillment. This past week, uh, I spent a few days in Vegas. Uh, it was a pastor's conference, believe it or not, and I have the paperwork to prove it. <clears throat> um, we spent some time at the Verve Church, that was planted a couple years ago, uh, and it's a church that's, uh, the, the, the slogan is God for the rest of us, and they aim for those that work the Vegas Strip. That's their target, and, and it is a different, like, like Polaris is loose and laid back, not like the Verve, okay, but I, I watched a lot of videos of their people that have come because, well, it's kind of like a last, like that, that branch to grab onto before you hit the ground. Okay, there's one last hope. Maybe there is a God for the rest of us. And I would hear story after story of, of, of both those areas of riches where, where the person found forgiveness and couldn't believe that God loved them and would pay the price for them and they embraced that. But what I loved was the other treasure of the lifestyle. It's when the entertainer began to live out the lifestyle of Jesus and go back to the strip and influence and redeem with the lifestyle of Jesus. That's where you begin to realize what a treasure this king has brought to us. But he's vulnerable enough to let us walk away. So that's the first dramatic contrast I want you to think about at Christmas. The king who allows himself to be rejected, both his grace and his lifestyle. So it's important that we do the work to receive through faith this relationship that he's offered us and do the work, because it's work, to live out the Jesus lifestyle because there's riches in that. There's blessing from the king in that. But God will allow that to be rejected. The second contrast comes from the nature that the king chose to live from. So the first contrast is he lets himself, he, he will let us reject him. The second is he chose a servant nature. It's almost unthinkable to me that God creates the world we rebel, and then he comes to serve us. Like, I could see the king of the universe coming to earth to create servants for him. Like, that's what I would do. You know, now my needs are going to be met by my minions, right? But Jesus comes to serve. And this is our example. This is our model. This is the one we follow. He comes to serve if I look at Luke chapter 2, that Linus made famous. While they were there, 
the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So Jesus comes into this world wrapped in the equivalent of a towel, born in the lowliest of settings. We're going to talk more about that Christmas Eve. But this whole thing has servant wrapped all over it because he comes to the lowlies. That's, that's his path. It's not a palace. It's a barn. Now a few chapters later in Luke, it details how Jesus began his ministry. It says he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. It's his hometown. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, what he was communicating through that was, yes, I am the Messiah, the King of Israel, and I have come to serve the under-resourced, those who do not have a spiritual leg to stand on. I'm the King of everything godly, and I've come to serve Vegas. That's what he says in Isaiah. So the king of the universe was born and wrapped in the equivalent of a towel. He starts his life off in the lowliest of positions. The king was not born in a palace. He was not wrapped in purple robe. He was wrapped in the equivalent of a towel. And he spent his final moments on this earth the same way. Later on in John... John 13 says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. The king in a towel. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around his waist. Can you serve from any lower of a posture than that? Now, I I love this contrast here. Uh, Talk about not seeming to go together. Look at this. He knew he'd come from God and was returning to God. He knew the Father had put all things under his power. So, now you would think, that so he went and found all the haters and issued a God-sized beatdown. Like, that's the equivalent of what you would expect. I'm God, I'm king, I have all authority, so Pharisees, you better look out. No. So he got up, got undressed, wrapped a towel around his waist, and washed his disciples' nasty feet. Even those that were conspiring against him. That's our example. That's our king. That's our model. 
Now in Scripture, we learn that not only is this a part of God's character on display at the Christmas story, it also must become a part of our character as well. Here's how Paul says it in Philippians. In your relationships with one another, as we interact, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He was all the way obedient. He was all the way committed to serving. So this Christmas, let the character of God sink deep into your soul. <clears throat> the God of the universe actually came to serve you. Rather than soak that in selfishly, continue to ask, and I need to continue to ask, who can I serve? That's what ultimately shone light into this dark world. Jesus setting it all aside to serve. And that's our model. So we serve our spouses, we serve our children, we serve our parents, we serve our neighbors, we serve each other. Who can I serve? Who can I serve? Who can I serve? It's a great mantra for the Christmas season. And as we begin to serve and give selflessly, light begins to shine. John 1 says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is a pretty dark place. But the light of God shines when we follow the example of Jesus and ask, who can we serve? So we're going to close out um, this morning with communion. And um, I'd invite you as we, as we do this together to, to remember that the way God shined his light into the darkness was through serving us. And so on the same night that Jesus wrapped himself in a towel and washed his disciples' feet, he served them dinner by saying, I want you to take this bread and take a bite and remember that this represents my body that's about to be offered on the cross. Um for forgiveness, and then he handed um, a cup and said, drink this. This is my blood that's going to be shed on the cross as a payment for serving us through death on the cross. And so when we get together, 
every week and take communion, what we're really celebrating and remembering is the servanthood nature of following Jesus that went to the extreme of our death penalty. Jesus served us by taking our death penalty. Could be no greater act of service. And that's the central theme of who we identify with and who we are and our identity as his followers. So think about that as we take communion together. Let's pray. Father, I, I, <laughs> to stand before the king of the universe, um, I should be trembling more. I should be quaking more. I should be unable to speak. It, it's, it's beyond anything that this mortal mind, this fallen, broken mind can comprehend. But then to think that you, the great king, the one and only, the source, that you came to serve me. We remember that now as we take communion together. We celebrate you as the great servant, the great servant king. And we pray that you would grip us with the commitment and desire to go likewise and serve the world. In Jesus' name, amen. wrap up by saying that I and I've talked with this I've talked with you about this before I'm an only child I'm an only child extraordinaire and to no fault of my parents they tried um, my knee jerk is it's all about me and it's all for me um, but I'm a follower of Jesus and so that means I have to ask who can I serve and not what can I get from you what can I do for you and so as we leave here into the height of consumer mania with the Christmas season, let's stay focused on the manger and the God who said, I want to serve and I'm coming to serve. And let that be our mantra as we follow Jesus. Let's stand and we'll close. I feel a lot shorter <laughs> right now. <laughs> So God, thank you for uh, coming to this earth. Thank you for serving us. And I pray that we would be inspired, that your spirit would work deep in the most callous, selfish places, and we all have them, that you would go to work and do the surgery required to make us servants. We're not better than anybody. We're not above anybody. We ask first and foremost... Who can I serve right now? In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good week.